From orchestraexcerpts.com, this is the Purse Service Podcast, a shamelessly self-help show thinly veiled behind the guise of the working-class classical musician Shop Talk. We're more about growth than go thriller, more self-care than first chair, more positivity than exclusivity, more resiliency than Salieri. Welcome, my name is Michael Giblin. I'm a violinist in Boca Raton, Florida, and I'm joined by Anna Luce, concertmaster of the Hamilton National Tour, Jessica Wiersma, a violinist in Indianapolis, and Christian Marshall, a violist in Graz, Austria. You can learn more about us by visiting perservice.co. And today, oh boy, do we have a show for you. We are joined by the leading peak performance coach in the world, But before that, I get to tell you about some great companies that make this thing happen. Fix Music Publishing has been a longtime supporter of the show, and it brings me a lot of joy to introduce fixmusic.com to people who have never heard of them because they're so simple. It just works. You need some music? You search their website, you get a great price, including free shipping on orders over $30, and it arrives fast. Bing, bang, boom. Whatever instrument you play, whatever you need, they have it, or they can get it. And as a podcast listener, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code PERSERVICE at checkout. That's fixmusic.com, F-I-C-K-S music.com. And this podcast is also made possible by the support of fiddlershop.com. Fiddlershop is more than a one-stop shop for your violin instruments and supplies. They carry instruments, bows, strings, and accessories for viola, cello, and bass. And they're proud to have the lowest prices allowed on the internet on almost all their products. And they ship internationally. Plus, if you dig around on the site, you might just find a familiar face on some of those product videos. <laughs> I've worked out a special offer for our podcast listeners where you can get 5% off your order by using the same promo code per service at checkout. Just visit fiddlershop.com for all your string instrument supply needs. Okay, here is the show. All right, our guest today really needs no introduction, but I'll, I'll do it anyways, because that would be rude to not. Uh, he has made a career out of coaching all kinds of people who are struggling to do their best under extreme pressure. He's worked with police SWAT officers, professional golfers, Grand Prix drivers, Olympic athletes, conductors, instrumentalists, singers, dancers, and actors. Whew. I'm sure there's even more than that, right? Uh, he has a doctorate in sports psychology and teaches at the Juilliard School and New World School in Colburn. And he's the author of so many great books. Um, perhaps you've heard of Audition Success or Fight Your Fear and Win. And he's also the mastermind behind Peak Performance Training School, which is a web-based course. And it's our pleasure to welcome Dr. Don Green. Thank you, Michael. Insert thunderous Oh, man. Thanks so much for joining us. We're so excited. Me too. Uh, so I have to ask... The Per Service Podcast is, uh, you know, a massive uh, audience full of uh, judgmental classical musicians. Uh, are you <laughs> nervous uh, to be here, or do you, do you get nervous? <laughs> I grew up with the fear of public speaking. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I was curious about this. Yeah. So I still get, oh, I, I don't call it nervous. I get up for things like this. I've been looking forward to it since Sabrina and I talked about it. Awesome. And I should hope that I'm up. I mean, this is exciting to me, and hopefully performance is exciting to you wrong semantics and call that same 
responsive energy, nervousness, then you'll perceive it as bad versus perceiving it as good. Namely, it's exciting. Yeah. So what is it? You, you called it not nervous energy, but performance energy, performance energy. I like that. What we want to talk about today, I, I, I'm so curious about all the the people you've worked with, but it seems like the main thing that all these different athletes and people struggle with is performance energy. And with all the work that you've done, all the publications and all the, the courses and stuff, out of all those people, all the different athletes and professionals, uh, why why did you spend so much time with classical musicians? And, I mean... Well, my guess is it's not for the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh... loving music uh-huh. and always wanted music, but I had a mother that was a diving mother, much like a stage mother. Oh yeah. And I had professional trampoline lessons when I was seven. Diving lessons started when I was 10, but when I wanted to get a guitar, I had to go out and buy it myself. Oh. <laughs> so I've always been fascinated by music. And I'm highly respectful of classical musicians because they can do more than I could ever dream of doing. Having worked with classical musicians is, is just one of the highlights of my career because compared to athletes, even Olympic athletes, they have such a dedication, huh. uh, work ethic. You know, divers get coached on every dive. If they do a dive and the coach doesn't see it, they're not happy. And if the coach leaves the cool deck to take a phone call, they wind up doing cannonballs or 10 minutes. <laughs> I would, I would think that hurt. That would hurt. Christian is our our resident uh, springboard diver, so he yeah. I'm sure sure can. Uh, so you know, musicians get maybe an hour less in a week, and then they practice for forty or fifty or sixty hours a week. And that that if athletes had a dedication, they'd all be Olympic champions. <laughs> That's a good point. A great respect for that. You know, I watch shows like America Has Talent or The Voice. And these singers who have no formal training, who don't know anything about music theory, who are just good looking, have the sound. Mm-hmm. I don't pay attention to them. I pay attention to classical uh-huh. musicians behind them who are really musicians, you know, playing violins or cellos or whatever. Uh, and, but, you know, who's going to make more money? Yeah. My, sometimes we end up watching America's Got Talent or something. And I like, I realize I, I get really angry and my wife is like getting mad. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's uh, kind of the response I have is, wow, highlight the musicians, not that. Although this is like a complete tangent, I feel like classical music could do well if we perfected the art of that, like the video package that goes before the performance. Cause like they really bring in like your whole backstory and you're like, that's true. This performance means the world. You need to talk <laughs> to Sabrina about that because that's what she does. Right. <laughs> that's <laughs> what she does. We, we need to, we need to, we need right, some marketing behind it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Sabrina is the marketing uh, mastermind behind uh, yeah, bringing Don and us together. No, so, not just me, think, just a bunch of people in the music oh, business, you know. All right. Okay. Yeah. Concerts and things, yeah. Okay. Part of my America's Got Talent rant rage. So, so. I love working with fast musicians. I'm learning. I had a lot to learn before I got started. I, I spent two years in New York going to violin lessons and voice lessons, piano lessons, because I know sports mm-hmm. intimately, but I didn't know performing at the level of the musicians I was working with. So it took me two years, and then I finally got it. Pretty much, so I'll never have the full understanding of, of being on, stand, <laughs> on stage playing a violin in front of an audience. But I know what it's like being on 10 meters mm-hmm. in front of a group of people 
wondering if I'm going to live or die. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Has there been maybe some some hidden difficulties? Mm. In that process, or the, has there been a dark side to that coin of going from athletes to musicians? Because, you know, when we talk about professional athletes, we talk about their dedication and their hard work and the blood, sweat and tears. And we talk about musicians spent so many hours in a practice room. Of course, there is that blood, sweat and tears aspect, but there's also this emotional journey. And there's been a lot of, of inner work as well. Have you come across some difficulties or some hidden aspects that you didn't expect when working with musicians that there's, there are certain emotional layers that they might have that are more difficult to get through than with athletes? Well, for sure. And, but I see that as a blessing as well. Okay. You know, hmm. take Olympic athletes by age 18, Olympic gymnasts are over the hill. <laughs> uh, swimmers can maybe make it to 24 unless they're Michael Phelps. What I love, you know, when I work with those athletes, we're working on some adolescent issues and some adolescent minds. Interesting. With musicians, and, and, and I truly believe that musicians are more intelligent than athletes. We'll take that. We'll take uh, that. I was like, this conversation is being a big boost for my ego so far. We're already. And besides that, musicians can continue developing and getting better. Over 10, 20, 30, 40 years, I can still, at 60, I work with musicians in their 60s who can still get better. Yeah. Mm. And besides that, they become mature people. They have kids. They develop empathy, develop mm -hmm. genuine love. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just playing their instrument in, in a lesson or a recital. They develop as a fully human person. And hopefully they can, they can put that through their instrument. And that, to me, is, is why all the musicians at auditions can have an advantage over the young kids, you know, hot out of Juilliard. And, mm -hmm. and I just, a lot of people see it as a disadvantage. I see it as an advantage. Put your whole life into the excerpt, you know, let us hear your humanness. And the kids haven't developed that. Interesting. Don, I have a question for you. Wow. I just want to know if you think, because I noticed in my own life that performance anxiety actually ramped up as I got older. And I wonder about the difference between sports. Like you're saying, maybe someone will only make it till the 18 or their early 20s. Whereas with some musicians, we like start out out of the gate, ready to go and ready to perform. And then as the stakes are higher, the nerves start to ramp up as we get older and like need a job. That's, that's a good question. <laughs> I've had so many people tell me if they just could have played the way that they did in college or, you know, without a care in the world, just going for it. Yeah. And then yeah. they take, take music theory and all those classes and realize how difficult it is. And then they start developing an adult brain and thinking beyond the instrument. Yeah. And mm -hmm. They also realize that there are consequences that they, yeah. you know, it's going to cost a thousand dollars to fly to the other coast to do this audition. And, you know, you can only do that so many times. When I was in Hawaii, I saw people get stuck in Hawaii Symphony, Honolulu Symphony, because, you know, it cost them a fortune just to go to the mainland oh, yeah. and take it. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> yeah, I understand that, but people get stuck there. And, yeah. 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 So I can yeah. blame my adult brain yeah. on all my problems. <laughs> Yeah, hey, or I great. can blame all my problems it. on my adult brain. Well, that that feels so much it's better. An easy solution to this is you just go get a lobotomy. Yeah, perfect. Uh, you know what? Jess and I talk about that on the regular. Yeah, yeah. listen, you play much more musically. Uh, you won't be able to dial the phone number or add up a checkbook, but you'll 
It's <laughs> funny. I'll, I'll have people do that for in me. The, in the aspect is switched from the left side, the more adult side of the brain, to the right side, the more creative, almost childlike brain. Mm-hmm. The left side works like an adult, but the right side can play like a child. Mm-hmm. When I think of both sports and music that people forget, it's you play golf. You play mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. You know, you work, you work to get the skills, but after you put the work in, when it's time to... To play, you play, you don't uh, work. That's so that's so hard to remember when you're like oh, man. behind yeah. the screen and you're like, okay, I'm supposed to enjoy this. But well, like, uh, yeah. I'm not saying enjoy it. That's a yeah. <laughs> but, but the shift in the centering technique that, like, um, you know, I was watching some of your videos and the shift into putting your eyes below eyesight. I probably am not saying that right. But that was really interesting to me to think about how that shifts your right to your bright brain. I didn't know that. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. If if we look down, especially to the left, we tend to go into right brain. And this is where you can hear sounds better in your head. You can hear the opening phrase. You can picture good bowing. You can feel and see good fingering. It's important to shift to that. If your eyes go up, it tends to bring in left brain. If, if I ask you to do mathematical uh, computations like subtract by sevens from a hundred. So a hundred ninety three. Right. Yeah, I, oh, that, I just totally did that. Like oh without even thinking, I just like looked Me up too. into that and was like, huh, what is it? What, what's 93 subtract so seven? This, this is where we remember things. We access long-term memory. So again, if I ask you to name conductors whose names begin with the letter M or P, I will tend to access that upper left. Interesting. I just tried to do it wow. looking down and it didn't work and my eyes went up. It's hilarious. <laughs> Maybe just oh just gosh. to back up just for a second, we got we started talking about switching from your left brain to your right brain because one of the things about centering is before you start playing to look down instead of looking up because it that helps switch you to your right brain. Well, the whole purpose for centering, well, one of the main purposes is to get people in the right brain right before they play. So part of the centering is to start either with your eyes closed or down. To start, start it. But the other part is, once you're in right brain, is to hear the opening phrase or bar that you're going to play. Because you hear that in right brain, and there's nothing to think about. If you hear it in right brain, that's what you should play, unless the left brain gets in the way and gives you other instructions or counter instructions to remind you about the high notes at the end. But if you're hearing it in right brain, that's when you should be able to start without left brain thinking man is that just not like a thousand dollar tip right there it sure I, I was is. <laughs> thinking back like uh well i just the one of the most recent auditions i took it was in milwaukee and that's and I, after i read that i was like dang it what is that? i was like well because when in my audition i went in and was like right before i started playing i looked up and i was like wow this is a beautiful hall wow what a what a nice what a nice reverberant space this is going to be <laughs> and then just and they freaked out. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, don't. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. So I was like, I, I'm also thinking too, violinists and violists and those of us who play left-handed instruments do have an advantage in that we're looking down and left at our hands. And I wonder if that's helpful at all if we were to focus on that in in conjunction with or if there's any like 
I don't know, reasoning behind that. It's kind of neat. It's a good question of how you focus. Because if your eyes are open, you're going to see what you're looking at. Right. And if you Mm -hmm. see what you're looking at, you have a choice to either process it left brain or right brain. Okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. It's easier to process it if your eyes are not focused. In other words, if you have a soft focus, looking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. over your hands. But if you start looking at your left finger and evaluating your vibrato, it's <laughs> it's gonna kick you the left brain. Oh, and actually, that I feel like all of us have maybe had that experience where we're looking and we maybe have a soft gaze, we're playing, and then we start noticing our hands and we get specific, and then you mess up. Specifically yes. in Bach for me, because yeah. it, it yeah. causes you to go left brain, and what happens right before you left brain is that you're in left brain. Now we get it. If you look back at your mistakes, a lot of times you'll see. Right, you were in right brain, everything was going along smoothly, and then you mm-hmm. shifted to left brain, and it's oops. Yep. Oh, man. It's funny because all this makes so much sense, but I don't think anyone's ever <laughs> verbalized it for us, for me anyway. And it's, it's really cool. That's like, for me also, sometimes I do that where, like, I might start playing from memory or something, and then, like, a page into it or something, start reading the music, and it's like, that's, and it's like, it's, coincidentally, like, that's when I mess up, yes. too, is I'm like, oh, yeah. I gotta start, where, yeah, where, am, I, am I actually on this line? Oh, wait, oh, no, oh. Yeah, uh, that's another good point, because the eyes are very important. 70% of our brain is tied up to visual processing. So if your eyes are open, you're going to see, and and you have no choice other than to process the information that you're seeing. Okay, so with with centering, I recommend that that you either start with a soft focus, eyes down, or with your eyes closed, and it will put you further into right brain. But the important point is, you need to start the first phrase with the same eyes as you center it. So in other words, Mm. don't want to get centered, get deep into right brain and then right before your eyes, open it up and try to find the first note on a page and start thinking about it. And in that much time, you can switch back into left brain. Mm -hmm. So you either start out with your eyes closed or with a soft focus or even a hard focus on the first note. But you stay there through the first two phrases. And then once you're on even track, you can... Either close your eyes, look down, look away, or follow the music. Mm-hmm. And it's important for that first phrase that you stay in the same state with your eyes that you're in centering. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh, great. I'm too. sorry. I'm just like processing all of this. <laughs> like so much. I'm like trying to I take know, notes. It's like, it's like, oh, man. I'm like, I'm like, ooh. obviously you know when someone first gets acquainted with this centering process and the way that you describe it it's going to be new to them they're going to be a beginner so maybe this mental space is for them unexplored it's new they might be a little bit nervous about it or kind of uncertain how things are going is that how you see this right brain this mental space do you see it as a space that the more we explore it the more we visit it and and stay in it that it grows for us that that our capability of being comfortable in it having more confidence and security in it also grows or do you think that there are limits to this and it's kind of its, its own living thing that we're not able to control so much well, I, think, I think it's a living thing but we can control it okay so in our left brain we have words and numbers Mathematical computations, word puzzles, crosswords, that's all left brain. 
And mm -hmm. that's, that's the purview of attorneys, CPAs, doctors, accountants, logisticians, those kind of people, engineers. The right brain is images or pictures, sounds as in music, or feelings, but not emotional feelings, proprioceptive feelings, tactile feelings, your fingers on the note on the strings. Okay? Mm -hmm. So right brain is images, feelings, and sounds. The right brain is where musicians live, especially professional musicians that are no longer in school taking lessons. You spend most of your time in the right brain. Mm -hmm. So that is a very familiar world, should be a very familiar world to you because that's the world you predominantly live in unless you're an accountant on the side, which I really doubt. <laughs> Have a side hustle um, accountant. accounting. So although some, some musicians I know are really good mathematicians and computer programmers, mm -hmm. but... I figured that one out, sort of. Mm -hmm. um, when you're playing music, you're predominantly in right brain, but you can't be 100% right brain unless you're playing on your own in a solo, and that's even tricky. You need to continually check back into left brain, make sure you're on tempo, pitch mm -hmm. with the rest of the orchestra. But mm -hmm. a minority of the time, it's like checking in. Yeah, it's fine. Go back to right brain. It's like when we're driving. We drive mostly in right brain because it's visual, okay? And unless you're a race car driver that knows the computations of braking speed and threshold braking and, and a lot of mathematical computations that go into Grand Prix driving, it, driving for us civilians is mostly a right brain experience where we're looking ahead and our main thing is to keep the car on the highway between the two lines, okay? And so we can, while we're doing that, we can think about other things. And it's only when we get out of the lines that the left brain kicks in and say, hey, get back in the lane. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, get back in the lane. And then you go back to humming along with the song, back in the right brain. And I see the same thing of most music, most performing music, it's the same thing, that you're mostly in right brain unless it starts to go off the rails. And then with left brain, say, get back on tempo. And then you get back to right yeah. brain. Can I ask about one of the things that one of my downfalls is that like strong inner critic that's like as I'm chugging along in an audition, maybe is it is that that the inner critic is related to like the left brain that it's like, hey, uh, this the tough part's coming up. Uh, you kind of screwed that up. It's it's uh, you're <laughs> you're it's game over for you, kid. Like uh, you might as well just pack this one up. And yeah. sometimes it, it's funny, like sometimes it starts off as a cheerleader. Like sometimes it's like, hey, things are going well. Like, hey, you might you might you might win this one. You might advance or something. And then it's like, oh, oh things are getting rough. And then is that is that the left brain that's doing that, or is it is it, is the critic sort of unrelated to left brain, right brain stuff? It's a great question. I mean, the critic is not related to left brain. The critic lives yeah. in the left brain. <laughs> <laughs> Damn left brain. <laughs> so you have two kinds of thoughts in this way: verbal thoughts, word thoughts coming out of the left brain. Mm -hmm. There are doubts and worries. Yeah, those are the main two. I mean, you also have commentary, criticism ongoing instructions, counter-instructions. That's all yeah. the brain stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. The main ones that affect musicians from the left brain is doubt and criticism because a worry is not exactly a thought. A worry is a fear expressed in words. Yeah. And that's different from a doubt or a self-criticism. Mm -hmm. It made one lay lead to the other. But the self-criticism, the doubts, the two worst things you can think as a musician. 
The other worst thing you can think is a fear, namely a worry, which is fear expressed. And those come from the limbic system when we feel threatened, danger, or a audition panel. Uh, so the combination of either doubts, worries, and self-criticism are going to be a musician's undoing. Yeah. Those are the worst things you can think. And that's why it's other than checking in for a thumbs up to make sure you're on track or get back in the lane, you need to be in right brain, hearing the music, feeling your fingers, and seeing the conductor's baton or watching your own bow. That's it. That's what I was kind of curious about. All the manifestations or like all the symptoms of performance anxiety, do you see them as like a hierarchy, the worst being crippling self-doubt? Is is there one that's like habitually or like routinely you see this as like, uh, like if you've got that, you've got the black spot or, or I don't know, you know, like there's, there's no coming back from that. Well, the good news is that you can change your thinking mm-hmm. much easier than you can change your technique. Yeah. If you're going to change any perspective <laughs> technique, it's going to take you months. Hopefully you've already started changing your mind about some of these things. The other thing, frankly, is, you know, performance anxiety or performance energy is very important, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. And, and to me, it's, it's a fifth of the puzzle or a seventh of the puzzle. And you have important other things that you're kind of adding into it mm-hmm. that need to be factored individually, like focus, mm-hmm. uh, self-talk, mental rehearsal, the ability to imagine it going well, mental toughness, like getting past mistakes and being resilient. These are just as important as performance anxiety or the nervousness, mm-hmm. because my feeling is, is it's usually not just that. It's what that does to their focus or what that does to their courageousness. So, yeah. You know, does the performance anxiety make them play defensively or does it just affect their concentration? So to me, it's just one piece of the puzzle. Interesting. Yeah. I use assessments. I really don't work with anybody in depth unless they take one of my assessments. I have different assessments for different needs, but basically I want to know what their energy levels are because some are good and some are not. But I also want to know, you know, how left brain are they? How distracted are they by external sounds? How distracted are they by thinking about other people thinking about them? Do they have a hard time bouncing back from mistakes, mm-hmm. which I think are inevitable in classical music? Where they stuck on them and have one mistake cause another mistake causing yeah. a train wreck. So there's a lot more involved in the mental game than just nerves. And that's why I need these assessments to figure out, well, that's not the problem. They're, they're fine with nerves. They have no nerves. They just don't know how to focus. Yeah. I'll direct people where to find you have some assessments. Is that on Don Green? Is it live or is this is? No, this is on the new website that we've been working on called performancemasteryproject.com. Ooh. All right. Perform- all there. I'll have uh, links to all that again, probably in like show notes or we'll, we'll cover it again at the end of the episode. That's exciting. So is this, um, you had a, a launch of it already and you had sort of a, a round of um, we had a launch last year. We had an online school, Performance Mastery Project School, and we had 100 people in that. I think seven of them won auditions, professional auditions. And we are retooling it, and we're going to open it up again, hopefully, fairly soon. Awesome. Wow, we will, we will uh, stay tuned. I was also working on called Audition Prep, 
and it's just for musicians. It's how to really have a successful audition. Oh, great. There's a new assessment for that as well. That's also coming soon. Oh, I can't wait. Us too. (laughs) For each of these pieces of the puzzle, Don, I would assume that you see each of them as individual muscles that we can exercise. That's that's exactly it. Right. Uh, It's the same as you work on tempo versus versus pitch. Uh, These are interconnected parts, but they each need their own level of skill. Uh, right. Skill working on them, seeing what level you're at, which ones you can do well, which ones you need to work on and improve and so on. Have you seen across the board any of these pieces of the puzzle or muscles that take longer to develop or some that, that have a little bit more resistance in musicians? Boy, that's, or, that's a really great question. That's why we have Christian here. See, he asks the good <laughs> questions. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. <laughs> the thinking ones are a little bit quicker. In other words, okay. uh, you can change your self-talk around pretty quickly if you understand how important that is to either be thinking the right thoughts or no thoughts at all, no verbal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mental rehearsal for, for people who have tried it a little bit or don't know how to do it, that's a very valuable skill for musicians that you can pick up in probably two weeks if you structure it right, and really make this a powerful tool. This is an extremely valuable tool for musicians because it's accessing the right brain in a very practical, functional way. In other words, right before you play that opening phrase, you need to hear it very clearly in your head, in your right brain. If you don't hear it clearly, your left brain's going to take over and tell you how to produce that sound that you can't necessarily here. So mental rehearsal to me, I don't like the term visualization because that's more for athletes like figure skaters who need to make it look good. You need to make it sound good. You're in a business with sound production. Is there a good word for that? Have you have you come up with a good uh, audioization? I, I don't know. I can't. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> you heard it first on the per surface. Here, here's how it works. Baseball pitchers make the same movement, have made the same movement since they're seven years old. And, mm-hmm. and throw that same movement, same number of times as you've played arpeggios and scales. The reason to do that is to get it into so-called muscle memory. There's no such thing, but it's terms of muscle memory. It's the neuromuscular programming from your brain down to your fingertips. And the reason for all the scales and arpeggios is playing is so you can do it, quote, automatically, namely without conscious thought, without left brain telling you how to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the whole purpose for the repetition is to get it into muscle memory so it can be executed properly without conscious thought. So it needs to be done in right brain. So for the baseball pitcher, it's a visual thing. He needs to see the target, which is a catcher's mitt. And if he sees the target clearly in his mind and then sees it in reality, the ball has got to go there unless the left brain steps in and tells him how to make it go there in which case the ball is going to be thrown into the dirt. Okay. A musician is not a visual artist. It's an auditory artist. All you need to do is hear the correct sound in your head. The instrument should be in place, and that's what should come out of your instrument unless your left brain says, and remember to do this and don't forget about that. And then you're back to left brain, and it's not going to come out well. So that's the whole system. It's based upon mental rehearsal of making sure that you can hear the sound in your head. 
clearly, because what happened to me when I got into music, I just assumed that every classical musician could hear it, the whole symphony just crystal clear in their head. Come to find out, not all of you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess my my question I have about that is like how how perfect do you want to hear it in your head? If I can tell a quick story, we we recently talked with Nathan Cole and he said one of the most uh, uh, stories. Yeah, he said the story that, that stuck with him the most was uh, from was from you about a diver who if he if he I, I don't I'm gonna botch the whole story so uh, forwarding I don't know he tried yeah. to go for perfection. <laughs> He was swinging for the fences, like, you know, and he scored a home run. No, no. Um, but, uh, yeah. but so that, that's what my question is like, what if, what if you, what if you like hear perfection in your head, like you hear Heifetz in your head or something, but you know, you can't play it like Heifetz. Is there, is there a danger in, in trying to play too perfectly? I got it. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Please save me from myself. <laughs> It's only going to take me about three hours to answer this question. Ah. <laughs> Sabrina, do we have that time? Can we check? Yeah, yeah, quick. <laughs> yeah. This will be part two. All right, yeah. yeah there we'll we go. There we go. Sorry. Uh, first of all, I have real problems with the word perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the word ideal because as good as you may be, perfect gets in the way and the left brain turns on with the perfect word. So ideal. The second part of it, in your mind, no, you shouldn't play like Heifetz. You should play like you playing ideally and hearing it clearly, seeing it clearly, feeling clearly the way you play it. And if you want to make it a little bit better, okay, but play it within reason so you can buy into it and believe it. But make it as good as you play it. If you make a mistake, which may be natural, if you're not used to this, well, you correct it like you would in a practice room and then continue. And after a while, you won't make the mistake. Mm-hmm. So back to the diving example. If a diver does this dive every day in practice for nines, some days, not so good eights. Some days, one out of five, he makes from nine and a half. So he goes into the Olympics, waiting all his life, and if you've never felt pressure, you definitely feel in the Olympics. Yeah. And you feel the energy. And I've, I felt this energy as a diver myself and definitely on the, on the pool deck at the Olympics. It's electric. It's uh, undescribable. Yeah, no, I can't even imagine. So all of a sudden you're filled up with energy. And divers, instead of doing a front three and a half rotations and just barely making it, they have to be careful of going past it and over-rotating because of this energy. Mm-hmm. So they get in their mind, well, shit, I feel all this energy. I can do it for 10s today. <laughs> tens. If I want to win a gold medal, I better get 10s. Yeah. So the coach, in a way, tries to re- subtly remind them, you just do it the way you do it in practice, but they don't hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I stood next to them when they're telling them, and the diver doesn't hear a word. <laughs> and you can see the tens in their eyes. And the coach, I look at each other like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, they jump higher than they ever have, spin it faster than they ever have, kick out the usual place and land flat uh, on their back. Uh, yeah, but it's like, that's exactly, I mean, we do that in an audition. You're so, like, <laughs> yeah, and mm-hmm. my advice is, listen, if, it, if you're happy with it in the mock auditions before you play it, if, you, if you're playing this concerto at a nine, please go in there. And if you 
if you know what to do with the energy and ride it versus push it, it may very well take you to a nine and a half because you're going to be very focused. You're not going to be fooling around. You're very, you really want to do well. You're going to be feeling some extra energy and that might give you some more power to really bang out those notes. But it, it, if you don't practice with it, which I recommend, it's going to be a four. You're going you're gonna to make obvious mistakes that you never make mm-hmm. in the practice room. And instead of a nine or a nine and a half, it's going to be a six. And they say, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I love that, that moment. when they, Thank you very much. Because my experience with people winning auditions, mm-hmm. well, the people who go into the Chicago Symphony and play to the nine, when everybody else is trying to play to 10, they play to the six and they don't, they don't make it out of the prelims. I, that was interesting. I think you said pretty quickly, like it's that people aren't practicing with that extra energy. Oh yeah. That's what it's like. You have to pre- prepare that when you get in the moment, you're going to have all this extra electricity that you have to like practice that. It took me forever. I think to realize that assuming, Oh yeah, I'm just going to go in and, play how I always play. And the only thing that's going to mess me up is if I, you know, I just mess up or I just, you know, I have a memory slip or something. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's yeah. all this extra, all this pre- extra pressure and extra energy that I never practiced getting or like simulating maybe. Well, that's just it. It's, it's mm-hmm. state dependent practice. One type of practice is practicing practice, which is playing at a low energy level. And if you stop and just start over again, if you don't like how that sounded, try it again try a different fingering, uh, that's practicing practice. And you need to do that to get to your level of proficiency. Uh, But after you do, you need to switch over to practicing performing, which is performing in the same state that you'll be in and do it the same way at the audition. Namely, don't go in there relaxed, either run around the block first or drink five cups of coffee and then go in and you only have one take. You can't stop and start. Do it in one take. If you mess up, keep going. And this is how you prepare for an audition, by practicing performing, not Uh practicing practice. My recommendation is a week or two before an audition, you switch over. Don't take any lessons. You put away the etude books and you practice performing. With the divers, what we did is divers are used to doing, um, (laughs) Christian, you know this, five apiece. So you do front dives and you do five back dives. If you missed the last back dive, okay, do another back dive. And then do a reverse dive and then do a back two and a half. And this has nothing to do with competition. We only get to do one front dive and then sit down for 20 minutes and then get up and do a back dive. And then sit down and think about it for a half an hour and then do a reverse dive. And when we first started doing it with the divers, they hated it. And it was really screwing up. <laughs> this is competition and that's an audition. So if you're practicing practice before an audition, yeah. setting yourself up. Ah, not too well. So good. Yeah. Any uh, little mm-hmm. hidden gems of uh, ways to practice that? Like any, you know, like standing on a chair or I don't know, just, or like just jumping jacks or running upstairs. Any, anything, any, I didn't know if there yeah, were any, like what's the wackiest one you've ever heard of? It's, it's a heart rate. Well, the wackiest one I ever heard is I worked with a guy from Denmark who was a trumpet player. Okay. Uh-huh. And there's different ways to get your heart rate up. You can do jumping jacks. It's easy if you're not in good shape. You just do a flight of stairs. I bend down and tie my shoes. And <laughs> the musicians have the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, or, or you can sit against the wall. This is good for horn players who need their wind. 
sit against uh-huh. the wall on an invisible chair. Namely, put your back up against the wall and squat down until your thighs are parallel to the ground and then hold mm-hmm. that position. And unless you're in great shape or a skier, you know, yeah. it takes about That's 30 gonna... seconds and your, your thighs are screaming and your heart is racing. Then yeah. you stand up, pick up your instrument and play. Well, this guy was a mountain biker. His, so it took him a long time. His friend was going through the mountain out al- the Alps on his mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> so he he sat down in the invisible chair. About ten minutes later, he says, uh, "I don't feel anything yet." <laughs> so, Amazing. So I've seriously explored, and I've talked to cardiologists about this about mm-hmm. coffee, and and for, I don't recommend this for people who don't drink coffee. Okay. But if you do drink coffee, my recommendation, maybe a week before the audition, is to not drink coffee for two days. And then on an empty stomach, set up an audition and we set everything up and invite some people over, invite some musicians over, invite your teacher over and then drink about five or seven cups of coffee. And then sit in a room until it kicks (laughs) in. And as soon as it kicks in, you go in and play your first round and then back to the green room and drink another three cups of coffee and then back in and play your second round, take a pause and then play your third round. And then the the only question mark that I haven't figured out is, what do you do for the rest of the day? (laughs) Yeah, because you're totally ruined or you've gone into cardiac arrest. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I talked to a heart surgeon about this. There's a dosage of every medication, namely how much you can take until you die. <laughs> and with coffee, Just, I've never had a musician die. Yeah. How, how much is it with coffee, did you say? It's 110 cups. Holy <laughs> We're good. We got plenty of room wow. to go before. Th- Not even at a tenth of that. Way more to go. We ways to oh, go. That's great. Totally fine. Right. I have a question. When when we talk about that performance anxiety and then getting excited for a, a concert or a performance or an audition and we want to ride that wave of adrenaline, we want to ride that wave in the right brain, correct? Yes. Right. Okay. So I have this image in my mind now about you know being in right brain versus being in left brain. I like how you talked about checking back in. So I had this image come to mind of being underwater versus above water. So if right brain is being underwater, you know, a normal person, we can't hold our breath for that long, but we can train it. But we still occasionally have to come up and take a breath, right? We have to come up and check in with our left brain. Are there exercises to train this muscle of staying in right brain longer, becoming comfortable with who we are in right brain and not need to check in with left brain so often or so frantically? Well, that's, that's a great question. Thank you. Great. Hmm. Uh, mental rehearsal is a skill. Okay? People assume that they, you know, they can picture their mother's face, that they know how to mentally rehearse. Yeah. And it's <laughs> mm-hmm. a skill that you need to correct information and you need to practice it. And most people either don't know how to do it or they don't practice it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand lately that there are people that can hold their breath, uh, deep divers, uh, free divers can hold right. their breath like for 13 minutes. And when I was a kid swimming, I, I know I could hold my breath for over a minute, but the thought of two minutes, like I couldn't do that. 
So a lot mm-hmm. has to do with our, our mentality and what we're willing to believe. I believe it's not like holding your breath. I believe that you can stay in right brain for long, long periods of time. And all you have to do is look at meditators who get into a very right brain state and stay there for a long period of time. Yeah. There are yogis in the East who can stay in right brain and they do things that are unimaginable in the West, like be buried in a casket for hours and, and they come back. We have trouble believing that. No, but, but this sounds like David Blaine level kind of stuff. Well, that's David yeah. Blaine because David Blaine trains to yeah, do this yeah. stuff. And most of us don't. And we mm-hmm. think that of our capabilities. But I'm telling you, it's easier to keep your mind and right brain focused on a concerto where the whole concerto is easier than holding your breath for 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. You should be able to do that. You should be able to stand right brain and hear the whole concerto. If not, you need to continue working on your skill of mental rehearsal, which is very closely tied to developing your concentration to keep it focused for that length of time. Okay. So those two go hand in hand. You develop your focus as you develop your mental rehearsal skills. This is something you guys should be doing every day. Before you pick up the instrument, you should be imagining how you would like the practice to go or how you like the performance to go before you ever start the first note. That's so good. I don't know, at least for me, that was never really focused on after like being pushed out into audition world it's like okay now now you need to think about some uh some audition preparation and it's like well we should have been doing some of this stuff all along the way well yeah but most music teachers teach music as they should and they right they didn't necessarily learn this stuff yeah i i worked with dorothy delay and her students for quite a while in juilliard and this was like new information to her yeah Mm -hmm. Now, wow. I'm going to take it as yeah. a note, my own personal challenge to stay in my right brain for one act of Hamilton tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I bet I couldn't do it, but I'm going to see how long I can do it. That's just it, Anna. <laughs> you can't afford to stand right brain the whole time of the show. Because I might lose it. <laughs> yeah. You, you might too far into right brain and think, boy, I really like how this solo is going. I'm going to let this soar a few more bars. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I can't get too creative. Got to stay in the box. I'll tell you what, I did work with the violinist. She was one of my Juilliard students. She was the violinist for Riverdance. Ooh, Riverdance. And the reason why she took it is because she hated staying with the notes. She didn't want to ever play with an orchestra. It was too restricting for her. And Riverdance would allow her to be totally creative every night. And she loved it. But yeah. she she couldn't make it in a show unlike that. She couldn't do the standard standard Broadway show. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge to always be inside the box, I'll say. Yeah. For all of us in different ways. Okay, can I ask a quick question? I'm wondering, you hear about burnout sometimes with athletes, and I think the same can go for musicians. And I was just wondering if you think sometimes taking a break... And I don't mean a break, like don't play your instrument necessarily, but maybe like a break from audition preparation for a little while or preparing for, you know, high level competition and sports or, or music. If you think that is a helpful thing mentally and physically, I guess. There's a thing athletes are familiar with that most musicians are not, and it's called a training cycle. It's how you prepare to peak for an important event, whether it's a concert or an audition or whatever. 
And the, the parts are preparation, tapering, execution, and recovery. Now, you spend most of your time in preparation, as you should, a month or two before an audition in preparation, practicing practice. But the week before the audition or two weeks before, you need to taper, namely back off the training. Just a little spot training, just a little couple hours at the most a day, which classical musicians have a trouble doing because they're practicing. And then what do I do with the extra time? Well, part of it is just take it easy and rest your body and get ready and go watch a movie and, and do more mental rehearsal. But then you have execution, which is the day of the event of executing, hopefully with more energy because you're tapered and more rested versus a lot of auditions, people going exhausted. Oh, yeah. Right. And the most important part is recovery. That after the audition, after important concert, you don't pick up the instrument the next day. You take a day or two or three off. Most musicians don't do it. They back the next day, pound away. Right. And not the next day, certainly the next day, don't ask me to take two days off. <laughs> And, and this is a serious issue because of your work ethic, but you need to factor in recovery. You, your bodies are athletes' bodies. You put a lot of stress and strain on repetitive syndrome of the same stereotypic movements over and over and over again on your wrists, on your joints, and you need to physically and mentally recover mm -hmm. from the high stress and physical workouts you're going through, and you guys don't. <laughs> Yep. This is, it's but true. that's so good to hear. Convicting. But it's so good yeah. to hear because I feel like, you know, you do feel lazy or like, you know, somebody else is practicing even when I'm not and it, and it freaks you out. You're not lazy at all. You're just the opposite. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's encouraging. <laughs> yeah. All right. I just want to say thank you all so much for your questions. It's delightful. Performance Mastery Project. Check it out. The website's launching almost in a couple of days and all my stuff and centering books, it's all on there. Awesome. Right. Yeah, we will have the link for that. Say it one more time. Um, 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 Performance Mastery Project. Performance Mastery Project. Man, that's it. I'm excited. Awesome. Thanks so much, Don. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. appreciate it. Appreciate it. It was wonderful. The last thing we're going to do is we're all going to do our sign off. I don't know. I'm, I'm, a little, I'm, a little, I'm a little, I have a little heightened anxiety. Ride the wave. Ride it's the okay, wave, Michael. Michael. You can do okay. It. Go. <laughs> Here I go. Center it out. Okay. I'm going to stay in my right brain. Here we go. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Michael O'Giblin. I'm Anna Luz. I'm Jessica Wiersma. I'm Christian Marshall. And I'm Don Green. And thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks, Don. Thank you, Don. Really appreciate your time. Oh, my goodness. My mind is blown. Did that just happen? Uh, I read Audition Success by Don Green when I was just an undergrad, and I never thought I'd get to just hang out with him on the internet with thousands of you listening, just hanging out like flies on the walls. Uh, I'm messing with you. You're not flies, because we made this for you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, could you do one thing to help us out? Just go to iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. We honestly do read them, and it helps other musicians find our show. Come on, we need that social proof, guys. You can find everything that we talked about in our show notes page, which is perservice.co slash 40, including the link to Don Green's book and his performance mastery project, which is going live in a few days. There are some amazing people behind the scenes who support our work on Patreon, and we'd like to thank Siri Bloom, Kathleen Lovengood, Sarah Lee, and Ann Brigham for staying in their right brains and visualizing an ideal podcast, opening their wallets, and helping to make this happen. 
thank you so very much. And I don't mean that like how an audition panel says thank you. I, I really mean it. Uh, we've got more great episodes coming up this summer. So until then, be well and practice well. Well.